And my other thought, which is more of a one for us to think about almost as a society, is that we see that technology will be replacing jobs. But what about the idea of a tax on technology, an AI tax? Uh, maybe around about 5% of the annual spend on an organisation. Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, a partner in Lewis Silkin's employment team. And in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspectives on the longer term trends and immediate drivers shaping the world of work. We've seen some really dramatic shifts in the world of work over the past few years, and those have presented both opportunities, but they've also presented challenges for businesses and their leaders. And that's caused many people to reevaluate the way that they look at their businesses, as well as the value proposition they offer to their employees and the value of proposition they offer to their customers and consumers. And in this episode, I'm joined by Paul Miller. Paul is a technology and social entrepreneur and the chief creative officer and founder of the Digital Workplace Group. The Digital Workplace Group is one of the UK's leading management consultancies in digital transformation. And in 2021, Paul co-authored Nature of Work, the new story of work for a living age with the Digital Workplace Group's Director of Knowledge, Shimrit James. Now, we've talked a lot in this series about the need for organisational adaptiveness and resilience to better withstand and respond to the current disruption and pressure on business. So, Paul, I'm really looking forward to exploring your perspectives from the book that bring in this concept of the natural world and encourage us to view organisations as organisms, as dynamic and living things rather than rigid and industrialised structures. So welcome. It's great to be here, Lucy. Now, I've said a little bit about your book, but it starts by noting that we're, we're living in a time which is no longer the industrial age. It's not even the digital age. It's the living age. And it's such an interesting concept. I was hoping we might just start the discussion by you explaining to the listeners a little bit about what inspired you to write Nature of Work and then the key concepts that underpin the book. Sure. So near where I live, there's a, a live in the Cotswold in the UK. Not far away, there's a copse called Widley Copse. I often walk through there. And just in a kind of random sort of wistful way in 2019, I started asking myself, having written various books around technology and work, how is this forest different to an organization? At first glance, even the question sounds absurd. If you think of something like IBM or uh, Coca-Cola, what's the, there is no relationship between that and a forest is there. And then I thought, well, actually, if you look at the forest, it's got roots. So if you look at Coca-Cola, they've got roots. There are unseen parts of a forest that influence the health of the forest. If you look at any organization, you could look at the culture. I, you can't point out and hold the culture, but we all know every organization has a culture. Then you start to look at the life cycles of a forest and actually its iteration, its growth, it can fall into disrepair. It can actually go through periods of regeneration. And the more that I started to kind of explore this concept, I thought, actually, I think there's something to this. Uh, you know, we're very used to the idea of health, uh, but very much restricted to financial health. So if we think of organizations, we think of their financial health. But are there other aspects of health? This is all pre-pandemic. So I started talking to one of my colleagues, Shimreet Jaynes, 
and we'd been thinking about writing a book together and and we'd been sort of thinking about the idea of kind of hyper technology advances in ai uh, but we couldn't get that enthused about that we thought that was going to be very important in the world of work um this is all pre chat gpt etc uh, but we started exploring this concept of the organization as an organism the organizations were more like a forest than a machine and and this concept of the living organization the organism started to really i guess kind of take on some meaning and pre pandemic we then came up with this concept of the nature of work so we knew about the future of work we said but what is the nature of work and this concept that we weren't in a digital age as you said we're actually in a living age and obviously the the whole relationship with environment ecology was was part of that so that's the the kind of where where did the whole book idea come from Thanks, Paul. It's so fascinating. And I love the story of, of the inspiration. So often ideas about things come to us in that way. Um, now, you'll know it's a really challenging time for business at the moment. There's a lot of economic pressure and difficulty. But we're also seeing it's something we've talked about quite a lot in this podcast. We're seeing this real shift and, and change in expectations. And, and I mean, both consumer or customer expectations, so what those customers or consumers expect for businesses, but for us at the future of work, also what employees expect for business. And that shift in expectation is forcing businesses to think about things like corporate purpose much more. How does your focus on the natural world, the nature of work, some of those kind of things like roots that you've talked about, health, how do they relate to this focus on corporate purpose? Yeah, well, it's very interesting because then if you stand in front of a tree, if we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of a tree? And it has aspects to it, things that it does, such as carbon reduction. It has an aspect of beauty, but there's a sort of sense of a deeper purpose in nature. And I think one of the things that people experienced and talked about a great deal during COVID was how grounding it was for them being able to be in nature. So there's a sense, for example, in a tree that it has purpose. Now, I think then when you start to look at it in terms of organizations, we've seen this rise of importance in this in the subject of purpose. Well, so we have 12 elements, as we call them in the book. And the first one is what we call purpose or deep purpose. So if we're starting to look at an organization, and there are some great examples of this. One of those in the book is called Who Gives a Crap? They make toilet roll. They're a very environmental, ecological, sustainable organization. Uh, they're an organization that's been doing extremely well. There's a, a rise of B corporations or better corporations. And we, we, we have it. You know, you can you see these things seep into the media, this understanding that younger people are looking for deeper purpose and meaning. I think, as you said, it's become a very economically challenging time but actually if you roll back to before the economic problems we we were in a kind of crisis of confidence really so 2019 was very much defined by all of the um, ecological um, movements started by Greta Thunberg and there was a sense that younger people coming into the world of work are looking for deeper meaning 
And I think organizations are starting to understand. I mean, we've got a, one of our member meetings happening at Intuit, the uh, software payroll company based in um, Silicon Valley in September. And they're 40 years old. But if you look at the story of Intuit, I called them one of the older, younger companies have now arrived. And they've got this culture that's infused with a sort of meaning from the beginning. So I think this idea of purpose and starting to draw from nature, but also to see in your own organization, if you're expecting people to come and work for you, what are you going to give them beyond a financial reward for doing it? All of that makes perfect sense. And I think so often when you are listening to these things, you think this all comes together and I agree with you completely, but going about it and doing it in practice, that's that's the tricky thing. And you, you gave actually some lovely examples there, including the um, who gives a crap example. But I'm interested if you've got any other tips or thoughts for our listeners about how they can practically going about embracing the nature of work ethos in your book within their businesses. And I mean that in part in terms of corporate purpose, but you've given us some some lovely examples there, but also other things, things like sustainability, employee expectation, well-being, DNI. What are your best practical tips for getting on and really embracing this? Well, one of the things that I, I think is very important is to think about purpose at a local level. So an example here is Cisco, large technology company, been involved with purpose for an awful long time. What they've done in order to sort of upgrade their purpose inside the organization is look at what they can do within the local regions that they operate in. So, for example, they've had a program running for the last few years with the city of Venice. We all know that Venice has become very diluted in terms of indigenous non-tourist economy. So they started to work, um, they called the program Veniware, and they got people working with Cisco across Italy and beyond to come and relocate for periods of time to Venice. They then started to work with the local bodies in Venice to see what they could do to actually increase the vitality and the health of the local economy in Venice. Another example that I think shows what to me purpose means, Microsoft are in a program not only of getting to net zero, but they are under Satya Nadella, who I think has brought great purpose to Microsoft as an organization, which I think it, why it's one of the most respected companies in the world, is, is going back and looking at the environmental impact they've had since they were founded and repairing that. If you look at a company like Mindful Chef, which is a recipe company in the UK, founded as a B corporation, every meal involves donations to poorer communities. So in a way, the purpose that I like is where it's very evidenced. So I would say to any organization, look where you can have a local direct impact. Another organization, Walmart, which has astoundingly, I think it's 2.3 million employees. But what Walmart actually does is look at what it can actually do within the local communities and areas that it operates in. So I think you need to take purpose from concept to practice. And I don't know what that means for each organization, but it will mean something 
very different for a large law firm like you to a retailer to a, a technology research company that's like the digital workplace group. So I, I think that's probably where I would start. And that's really, really helpful advice. And actually, I, I like the idea of thinking local, you know, looking beyond concepts, being local. I think that's that's important for some of the themes we've been discussing on this podcast series about employee experience and employee expectation and it being meaningful to people, feeling something that's more than just corporate. So I think it's really, really good advice. Changing tack a little bit, Paul, but sort of following this theme of employee expectations, what employees are looking for from businesses, because obviously that underlines quite a lot of what's driving change. One of the things we're seeing, and I'm, I'm interested in your experience, is the, the change in expectations and the pressure that's putting on businesses is sort of filtering itself down to leadership. And there is a sort of crisis in, in leadership. According to Microsoft's most recent work trend index, more than half of managers, about 53% of managers, are feeling burnt out at work, you know, more than stressed, really finding it difficult. And I wondered if you had any thoughts or observations about the key challenges for leaders at the moment, how they can adapt for those, whether there's any themes from your book that are helpful in terms of really grounding ourselves. You talked at the beginning about roots, for example. Mm. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, leadership today, I mean, I've been uh, in the field of management consulting for quite a number of decades. And I think leadership today is far more complex, far more challenging. I mean, when I entered the world of work, sort of organizations could operate really within their own kind of boundaries. You know, if you look at somebody like Jack Welch, who ran GE for so long, you know, he was able to operate a command control, quite a top-down approach. And, And I think now leaders are in a much more complex environment. For instance, if you look at the range of social, political environmental challenges that any organization faces. I mean, we do quite a lot of work with Estee Lauder. And the world's kind of social political situation has deep effects on what they can do. And they need to be mindful of of all of those things. One of the leaders that I do like, who I think is somebody who took over just before the pandemic, is Pamela Maynard, who's the CEO of Avenard about 60,000 people in the that technology implementation consultancy. They're a joint venture between Microsoft and Accenture. And she talks about servant leadership and the idea of not espousing a version of leadership that is where all the answers are on you, but it's really about the enablement of people across your organization. And she took over just before the pandemic. And I think for about 14 months, she didn't meet another person inside Avenard physically. How on earth do you lead an organization like that? And she's their first female CEO. And I think she's a great example of that different approach. If you look at somebody like Jack Welch, you look at Pamela Maynard, it's a very different approach to leadership. I think Satya Nadella, who I mentioned, Again, he took over from a far more directional version of leadership under Microsoft. And I think the organization at that time was struggling. I mean, the financial success of Microsoft, the culture of Microsoft has really probably never been higher than it has been under Satya Nadella. What's he done? He's looked at kind of core values around meaning, purpose, 
empowerment, agility. And I think those are some of the kind of characteristics of of leadership. So a kind of leadership where it can seem utterly overwhelming if you think all the issues that you face as an organisation are on you, try and simplify and think through what are the kind of core values. I mean, I keep reminding people inside the digital workplace group, we're only about 100 people. And I, when I stood down as CEO, I said, you know, what we are about as an organisation is the interaction between human beings, things that human beings invent in work, which tends to be technology and work itself. So if you think of that triangle of human beings, technology and work, and the challenges and opportunities that are posed by that triangle. And, and it's a, in a way, in a world where an awful lot's changing, trying to remind people that's, that's what we're about. Thanks, Paul. I think that's really, really good advice and really focusing on the purpose is helpful clearly for, for leadership and will hopefully address some of the challenges that leaders are facing at the moment. Now, you circled back, which was great for me, to the digital workplace group because I am going to take a change in tack and you talked about all the other things that you could have been writing about and one of the things you mentioned was advances in AI and given your experience, I didn't really feel I could have you on the podcast and not talk to you a little bit about that. It will come as no surprise to you that technological development is something that we've discussed quite a lot on the podcast, alongside the continued, perhaps increased need for soft skills and people skills and why those are going to be important. You mentioned chat GDP, so generative AI is obviously something that people are talking quite a lot about at the moment. And because you're here, I'm really interested to hear your reflections specifically on AI, what that could mean for the future of work. Should we be scared of it? Well, I... I... The analogy I've used is like weather. There's good weather, there's bad weather. What we can all agree on is that weather is significant and you need to really understand weather to operate to live. I see the advances in AI and AI has been around for many, many decades. And I think what happened in November last year when ChatGPT got launched was that all of a sudden we had an experience of AI rather than the concept of AI. So I think of it rather like a weather system. The other analogy I used, imagine bringing money into a barter economy. Uh, Is that going to be good? Is it going to be bad? It's going to be all of those things. What we can agree on, it's going to have deep significance. So I think these advances in generative AI are, are deeply significant. I think the alarmist side has got its value because I think it's bringing, in my mind, a much more intelligent approach to some of the ethical and societal concerns around it. So I think some of the hysteria is is kind of got a good place. I mean, I think we were very naive when social media arrived into our world in the early 2000s. And, and I think that really has unstitched us and we're now trying to repair the damage, it would be nice to think that with generative AI, we, we wouldn't uh, fall into that. I do uh, share the views of Kevin Kelly, who's a popular futurist, founder of Wired magazine. And he said generative AI is really like a very smart intern. It will help you a lot, particularly at the start of writing projects, of coding projects, but it's not going to do the job for you. Uh, We use something called perplexity AI, which is quite a thoughtful and useful tool. So I I think 
it's deeply significant. But when you think about it, I mean, Goldman Sachs predicted that by 2030, we'd lose 300 million jobs. And my sort of reaction to that was, well, it's not that many, actually. You know, there's about 3 billion people in work at any one time. We, we lose about 100 million jobs a year anyway. But there's huge numbers of jobs being created at any time. I think we still have, in lots of economies, high levels of labour shortage. And I, and I don't really see that changing. I think we tend to factor in the things we're going to lose and not factor in the things that we're actually going to gain. Thank you. I love the idea of, or the analogy of a weather system. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And you're right about the fluctuation of jobs. It's something that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. And at Lewis Silkin, one of my colleagues, James Davis, has has written a report on that. And I was discussing that with him. It is important that you're looking at the created jobs as well as the jobs that will be lost. I've got a final question for you, Paul. It's something that I've been asking all our guests on this 2023 podcast series. The last few years have have shone a spotlight on the future of work and the huge number of opportunities and challenges that lie ahead. But what I'd like to know from you is what you think is missing from the current conversation. What's not getting enough attention? What aren't we talking enough about? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer it in a couple of ways. One is that I think there's a lack of vision. I think we live in a world with a lack of vision. So I think if you look at the organizations, they tend to have a two or three year perspective. But thinking in a clearer way about what kind, what do you want it to be like to work here in 2035, 2040? What's the vision for the organization? When BMW celebrated its 100th anniversary, they set up a project called The Next 100 Years. And they got younger people in the company just to kind of play and imagine. And I think one of the things by having articulated visions of a more distant future gives people hope that we're actually going to get there. So what are some of the ingredients you might want in that future? I think, you know, if I start to think about a future for the digital workplace group, one of the things I say to people was that at the beginning of the last century, organizations that became EY, PWC, McKinsey all started off and they were just small organizations. Why couldn't we be one of those organizations at the end of this century has got that kind of status and what are the impediments to that there's always going to be people in work i think that the idea of work disappearing is an an illusion there's always going to be challenges in in and opportunities in that and my other thought which is more of a one for us to think about almost as a society is that we see that technology will be replacing jobs but what about the idea of a tax on technology an AI tax, uh, maybe around about 5% of the annual spend on an organization. So if IBM are going to lose a third of their jobs to AI, well, where does the revenue benefit of that go? The government doesn't get the tax because those third of the people are not paying tax each month. What about a tax on the technology that replaces jobs? Because The money's got to come from somewhere. And just because this is a difficult problem to solve, it doesn't mean it isn't one that can't be solved. In fact, Bill Gates was the person who started talking about a robot tax about five or six years ago. And I just think it's something there for politicians to start thinking about. Thank you, Paul. That's really fascinating. And actually really particularly interesting for me because on the last podcast I did with James Davis we also had a conversation about 
tax and the need for governments to think proactively about what where tax revenues will come from as the world of work changes. So really, really interesting thoughts. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're listening and you'd like to find out more about the Digital Workplace Group and the nature of work, you can visit www.digitalworkplacegroup.com. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure, Lucy. Thank you. Great to be here.